The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Canceled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And today I'm wearing my gorilla costume. Yes. You know why? Because it's Scary-tober. So I figured I'd dress up for the, the this episode. Yeah. Uh, we are talking about, on this episode, a show... That people forgot existed within 10 years of it coming out so bad that there was almost a lawsuit over it. Yeah. This is a a show that got swept under the rug and then was quite unexpectedly found under a rug. And then they're like, oh, snap, we have to turn this into a cartoon series and come banging at the doors of Columbia Pictures asking for the money they owe us because... Nobody remembered or cared about for many years. Filmations, the Ghostbusters. We're the Ghostbusters. I'm Spencer. He's Tracy. I'm Kong. We're the Ghostbusters. We're clever, courageous, and strong. Your sleep has been haunted with whispers and ramblings. Your blood has been curdled. We know what to do. Uh, kind of a weird coincidence. Do you suppose the makers of the 1984 feature film, Ghostbusters, mm. which is popular? Very popular. Uh, did they see the 1975 sitcom we're about to talk about? Uh, according to them, uh, no. Or yeah, or did they just by coincidence come up with the same term Ghostbusters? Well, you know it's interesting. The okay, so the premise. Okay, real fast, we'll go into way more detail. But the premise of the 1975 live action television series, The Ghostbusters, starring Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker from the sitcom F Troop, which we'll have to tell you about mm-hmm. as well. Um, and and Bob Burns, who we'll also have to tell oh, you about. Oh, Bob Burns yeah. is an interesting story. <laughs> Um, it's a live-action kids sitcom, not unlike when we reviewed uh, the series Monster Squad. Very, very akin to Monster Squad. Yeah, they, same, they, same t- about the same time. So but yeah. same time, same tone, same level of passion and money that went into it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's about a bunch of, of doofuses who stop ghosts who are also doofuses in a very doofus-like fashion with a lot of silly, corny... Pu- jokes that were puns that, and slapstick jokes and things that, that were really thrown young. out of vaudeville acts 45 years ago <laughs> as as like vaudeville can't survive if you keep doing this please stop but we're gonna put him in the ghostbusters and of course the ivan reitman film uh was also about a bunch of funny guys who do ghost busting as living in both cases the ghosts are real this isn't like old school scooby-doo where they take off a mask and find mm-hmm. out that they aren't ghosts ghosts are real 
This series lasted 15 episodes, and it was reasonably popular. Apparently the ratings were okay, they just weren't good enough to bother continuing it. Um, and it aired on CBS from... I have the information here. <laughs> September 6th, 1975 through December 13th, 1975. And it's part of a tradition of comedy ghost movies that isn't a long and proud tradition, but it was there. There was a movie in the 1940s called The Ghost Breakers. That's right. And I it's was, weird that they went to bring that up. It's uh, weird that they went to Breakers first. Busters yeah. sounds cleaner. Ghost Stoppers sounds better. Maybe. Ghost Cops. I don't know. Ghost Breakers. Maybe, we maybe, must break you, ghosts. Maybe Bust was still uh, like too closely related with organized crime. Like a Ghost mm. Buster sounds like. Mm. Like it sounds like you're busting Cagney, who's a gangster who goes by the name of the Ghost, or busting That's... unions, which obviously yeah, exactly. wouldn't, be a, wouldn't so, be a favorable thing. That's an yeah, interesting point. But busting just might have had a, a little yeah. bit of a, a stigma attached to it. So yeah, ghost busting breakers. did not make them feel good. No, it certainly made me feel bad. <laughs> so when Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson and Sigourney Weaver and all those wonderful people when they made Ghostbusters in 1984, according to them, they didn't remember the show. Sometimes that's 100% real and legit, and it's just a good idea that multiple people had. It's also possible that maybe Dan Aykroyd was drunk and watching reruns and caught a few seconds of this yeah, like and it, stuck in his head. Like he heard the phrase, but forgot where he heard yeah. it from. Weird so shit just has happened, and it's not, necessarily, it's not necessarily insidious, um, but it's possible. However, and so yeah. when they started making the Ghostbusters movie, after they'd already like gotten underway... The uh, filmation, the creator of the TV series we're reviewing this week said, Specifically hey. Lou Scheimer, who yeah. is the, the founder of filmation. You, yeah. you see Lou Scheimer's credit because he always gives himself a very nice credit. <laughs> if, if you've watched uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, yeah. which is another hit from filmation, he had like his signature. Yeah. Lou Scheimer and Norm Prescott both got their signatures on screen, whereas everybody else just got text. Like it was the Declaration of Independence yeah. or something. And uh, so he went up to Columbia Pictures and they're like, hey, you know, we own that. You own that name, yeah. And Columbia's like, no. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit. So in order to uh, not not get sued, they mm. gave a lot of money to Filmation. As my understanding, the, the deal was $500,000, which is, the movie was not a guaranteed hit, so who the hell knew. Uh, and also 1% of the profits, which... As we all know, in like Hollywood accounting, might mean zip, even if the yeah. movie was Ghostbusters. One percent of Ghostbusters money? It's actually quite a lot of money. <laughs> it's like I think it was um, like one tenth of a percent of the merchandising deal that yeah. uh, that Jack Nicholson did for Batman. Oh yeah, he yeah, said yeah. he was going to work for less as a salary, but he actually gets some of the merch profits, which oh, was unheard of at the time. He made so and he much made bank. so much goddamn money off of Batman. It was nuts. So, but the other thing that uh, that they didn't do uh, was they didn't talk about animation rights, and of course, Filmation does animation in a, in addition to some live action work, and mostly Ghost animation. And Ghostbusters would, of course, yield a popular animated series that for a while was really good, called the Real Ghostbusters. And the reason why they had to call it the Real Ghostbusters is because Columbia didn't buy the name Ghostbusters for TV rights. So Filmation <laughs> put on a, in 1986, yeah. two years after the feature film, they put out, put their out own... a TV, an animated TV series <laughs> called Ghostbusters, <laughs> which is about the kids of Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker mm -hmm. from this series going off on their own ghost, Ghostbusting adventures. And I will say this before we get into this 1975 show, mm -hmm. that 1986 show is a little underrated. I, I think it's most notable in its, uh, 
in perspective of the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. People only bring it up just to describe where yeah. uh, people are how always a competitor. People are always mad that it wasn't the real Ghostbusters. Mm. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something on its own. Like if the real Ghostbusters never existed as a show, I think Filmation's Ghostbusters would have a reasonably okay cultural cachet. It's inventive. It's visually distinct. Mm. They have one of those bumper sequences, you know, those pre-recorded segments you see on TV shows so that they can save money on animation. Like every single episode of Magical Girl shows like mm. She-Ra or the, Sailor The Moon. transformation sequence. Yeah. Fil- Filmation did that all the time with He-Man. Exactly. And, and, and She-Ra. Exactly. Imagine. So like those sequences, they're the same sequence every single time and they try to goose them up, add a little cool music mm. so that you kind of look forward to them. But <laughs> basically it's a way to save money. And you can always tell when the episode like was like running long or something because they don't do the sequences or they cut them down real fast. Um, so they had one of those for the Ghostbusters 1986 series that was actually really cool because every time the two heroes in that series... Three heroes, there's a gorilla. There's a gorilla, but the two human... The gorilla doesn't need to get his costume changed. Whenever the two heroes are like, oh, let's get into our Ghostbusting outfits and go Ghostbusting, and they would high-five and say, let's go Ghostbusters. Mm. They would slide into hell... <laughs> An actual <laughs> hell dimension full of giant skulls and weird, like, Mobius-type infinite loops and weird skulls and demons and shit would kick them around and throw clothes on them with a really cool, like, soundtrack. Just look at that clip online. That's a cool clip. That's fun. That's a little more imagination than maybe not the good version of the real Ghostbusters, but it's a damn sight better than a lot of the other animation we were getting at the time. No, so I'm I, just going to go to bat for that a little bit. I never watched the 1986 series. Yeah. I, I feel bad about that. Mm. I did watch the real Ghostbusters. I feel like a sellout. Like I was, <laughs> like I was watching the show of the man yeah. when I could have been paying attention to, you know, the real deal. Well, it's 2020. Yeah. 45 years later. Yeah. And now I've seen the original. Yes. The real, real Ghostbusters. The real, real, the original, the Ghostbusters. <laughs> I might call it that in the episode title. The real, real the, Ghostbusters. The real, real Ghostbusters. <laughs> and, uh, golly, I'm in pain. Because the, you you mentioned that this is like cast-offs of vaudeville jokes. Uh-huh. They resemble vaudeville jokes, but there are no laughs in this. No, there's, and, I, think I, laugh, I think I chuckled three times in 15 episodes. And, you know, we talk about how, you know, certain shows are really formulaic. You know, uh, I was just talking about this uh, with, uh, with Michelle, uh, your wife. And mm-hmm. she, uh, we, we mentioned how, you know, there's, there can be a certain comfort in certain kinds of formulas, like Law and Order, for instance. All those shows are written yeah. kind of the same way. They're, you know, the pacing is different. Sometimes... Uh, the the case is like really novel or you know changes in a in a significant way, but for the most part, you know scene by scene they all should depict the same uh, plot points. It's formulaic. The it's really it's formulaic. formulaic. Yeah, this isn't just formulaic. They have a template. Yeah. So and it's, it's and literally it's, the same episode. It's every every single, single time. time. So opening bumper, uh, exterior graveyard. Mm-hmm. Ghost appears out of nowhere. Ghost is historical, historic, or literary figure. Yeah, so we're talking Dracula, the mm. Frankenstein monster, the abominable snowman, mm. uh, the Red Baron from World War One, mm. Billy the Kid, famous ghosts. Mm. Usually it's a pair of them. There's mm. a, a smart one and a dimwit. I appreciated that uh, in at least more than a third of the episodes, the smart one was a woman. Yeah. That was nice. Uh, and then we cut to the Ghostbusters office in the big city. Uh, 
There's a really obnoxious jazz riff that they played over and over again and is never going to lose my head. Yeah. Yeah. And they played that to make sure there was just no dead air because there's a lot of dead air on this show. And we cut to the interior of the office where Larry Storch, Spencer, Forrest Tucker, Kong, and their pet gorilla, Tracy... Spencer, Tracy, and Kong. And Kong is not the gorilla. Kong is not the gorilla. That so may, don't mix that's that maybe up. the funniest joke in the whole series. And it might not even be a joke. It's difficult. <sighs> I bet Forrest Tucker just said, wouldn't it be funny if we just switched the names? Okay, we'll do that. Yeah. And that that's the most thought that went into it. <laughs> and, uh, and they're doing something funny. They're talking about Larry Storch is trying something out or... Uh, that's what, Tracy is is painting. Like, Tracy is a spy. Tracy's artist. painting. They've decided to start teaching music lessons out of the building instead of like, mm-hmm. catching ghosts. One time, uh, they had just come back from a baseball game, and mm-hmm. Tracy had just like hit a home run. Yeah, this is uh, this is where we establish character. They're doing what they do when they're not on a case. Yeah, what they do when they're not on a case is just sort of. Dumb vaudeville, dumb shit. vaudeville shtick. Yeah, and, like um, like Larry Storch. Okay, so Larry Storch uh, is Spencer. Spencer. He's the he's the really dumb one. He's the mm. really stupid one. Uh, he wears he wears like, a zoot suit. He wears a zoot suit with big flared out uh, uh, yeah. shoulders and a hat and like big a really nice neck down his leg. Yeah. yeah, it's a very it's a very um, you know back in the golden age of like Hollywood comedy, a lot of comedians would have very specific visual. Shtick. Of course, mm. Charlie Chaplin had the hat and the mm. cane, and uh, uh, let's see, uh, Laurel and Hardy had mm. very particular looks as well, more bowler hats, different, etc. And uh, he, they've each got their own look, and this look will not change. No. Forrest Tucker. Good, which makes it a good Halloween costume. True, I was thinking about that, actually. That would be a good mm. one. Uh, would, for, you, would you want to be uh, Kong, or would you want to be Spencer? I think I have to Spencer. be Kong. I think, right. I be Kong. I think you, yeah. you look better in a suit. I suppose so. Well, you're you're also a little taller than me. Yeah, exactly. Because so. Forrest Tucker was like six foot five. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a, a tall guy. Forrest Tucker, uh, who plays Kong, he's the straight man of the group, uh, which means he's just vaguely angry at everyone all the time and goes, "Why you?" Mm. And uh, he wears a pork pie hat and a bright yellow shirt with a number five on it for some reason, and oh, a brown vest, vest yeah. and brown pants, and uh, that's their stick. Uh, uh, Forrest Tucker is annoyed at Larry Storch. Meanwhile, Kong, the gorilla, who is just a guy in a suit. The, Tracy is the gorilla. You did it again. I did it again. Yeah. <laughs> you did, Tracy, they, they I, you. right? Tra- the gorilla is named Tracy. Yeah, and Tracy wears a hat. Mm-hmm. The hat changes. Yes, that's true. But he's mm. he's usually wearing a hat, mm. and um, yeah, and he does funny shtick. He's the character to whom re- the rules of reality often don't apply. Like, and and uh, because Tracy doesn't speak, it's not mm-hmm. a talking gorilla. It just sort yeah. of grunts and makes sort of snorting noises. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tracy is a prop comedian. Yeah. So basically... Say, I, I think I need to clean out my ears and Tracy will produce from his magical bag of tricks like a four-foot Q-tip. Yeah. So that basically, sort of here's, here's the formula. Here's the framework for the characters. Forrest Tucker is Groucho Marx if he wasn't funny. <laughs> Larry Storch is Chico Marx if he wasn't funny. Mm-hmm. And... Tracy, Tracy is Harpo. His Harpo, if Harpo wasn't funny. Right. That's not a great combination, especially those not funny bits. Uh, we need to talk about Tracy, because Tracy is an interesting uh, creation. 
Tracy is played by Bob Burns. Tracy uh, is very expressive for mm-hmm. uh, an actor who's in a gorilla suit. In fact, I give Bob Burns all kinds of credit mm. for giving Tracy some character. Bob Burns uh, played a gorilla in a lot of things. Bob Burns, uh, not only he played a gorilla, uh, if, if you saw a gorilla in any movie or TV show mm-hmm. that had a really, really small budget. From the 1960s. From, from, from like 1958 all the way through like the, yeah, like now, mm. the mid 70s. Yeah. It was probably Bob Burns in that suit. That's and it's not because so, yeah. he was like a primatologist or like <laughs> studied ape behavior. No, he was actually a collector of movie memorabilia. It was like Forrest J. Ackerman. Yeah, and uh, uh, he was really, really well, and he was mm. specifically known for his fandom of the King Kong movies. Yeah. So when they when the uh, the producers said, "Okay, we need to get someone to play a gorilla." Their plan wasn't let's get someone to play a gorilla and then get them a gorilla suit. Mm. What they actually did was they sent out a casting call for people who have gorilla who suits. their own gorilla suits. That's how cheap the show was. <laughs> they couldn't even provide their own gorilla suit. Bob Burns had a good one and Bob Burns had a pretty good sense of humor. Mm. So they went with Bob Burns. Uh, Fine. <laughs> but fun, that's the story. A fun story about Bob Burns. He has uh, he's big King Kong. I think he's still alive, Bob Burns. He's um, like in his mid 80s at I this point. I'll look but... it up, but I don't know. But uh, I know he he collects like King Kong merchandise, yeah. like memorabilia from the movies, and he's in and, Peter Jackson's King Kong. Of course, of course he's got he like is. a small role. Yeah, in it, yeah. Uh, but uh, he actually owns like one of the original Kongs, like one of the little oh. an- the ones they used for animation. That's amazing. Which is yeah, like I think the prize of his collection, and okay. evidently. People have offered to buy it from him for millions of dollars. <laughs> the Smithsonian has has asked for it, and he's refused them every time. And I bet there's some if if he is still alive, he's probably written a stipulation into his will that yeah. it doesn't go to the Smithsonian, and it doesn't like he he probably has plans for that little King Kong that he's had in his collection his whole life. He's also done some visual effects work on various movies, including. Harry and the Hendersons, which is a Bigfoot uh, movie starring John Lithgow that people don't talk about very much anymore. Uh, yeah. And he worked on the Lord of the Rings trilogy in the Creatures and Prosthetics Department. Oh, no kidding. All yeah. right. So he has, he's, he's made a good career out of this. So good for him. So yeah, here he is playing Tracy the yeah. Gorilla. And, and it does seem as though he's still alive. He would be, uh, he would be 85. 85. Yeah. Oh, there good we go. 85. Um, good for him. He, uh, there's one, there was one gag in in this whole series really <laughs> that kind of made me giggle a little bit that and the Yeti kind of made me laugh. Um, oh, the Yeti. The, the, cause the Yeti looks so ridiculous, but uh, Betty met uh, a Yeti. Oh God. Uh, but <laughs> there, there's a bit where, uh, Tracy is wearing, I think it's a top hat and he and Larry Storch are yeah. le- leaving the apartment to, to, I'll get to this in a second. They're leaving the apartment and, uh, Tracy says, you can't go out like that. People will stare. Or people no, will... Uh, uh, now you did it. You called him Tracy. Oh, I did. You called the person Tracy. Oh, no. Spencer says to Tracy, uh-huh. <laughs> you can't go out like that, Tracy the gorilla. People will see, will stare at you. And he takes off the top hat and puts on a, a propeller beanie. And Spencer says, much better. And then they walk out. Okay. That's, that's you know, approaching a joke. Yeah. Where they go, and this is, uh, this is also in every yeah. episode, yeah. is to... Like the shittiest antique mall in Turlock, California. <laughs> it's like this little nothing rest stop where I they probably didn't even get permits to film. It looks like just this rundown little antique mart. Based on the on the research I did, mm. because it's one of those shows where like they literally do this scene in every single episode. Mm. They cranked out the entire season at this location in like half a day. 
Yeah, they just because, crank this sucker yeah. out. And uh, and Tracy the gorilla goes into the antique mart while Spencer waits outside. There's a gag about how uh, Tracy can't drive because Tracy's the one driving the car. Yeah, it's so a nineteen some, it's a nineteen twenty eight Porter. So uh, uh, so sometimes when like they ah oh, you like uh, um what's that. Uh, Kong says you couldn't you couldn't hit the side of a barn. That's how bad a driver you are. And then he goes, "Oh no!" And then he cut to like exterior antique shop, and the car drives into frame, and, and it's covered like, in hay, and there's a chicken in it. Yeah, these are the jokes. The, the gag happens off screen, or yeah. the action happens off screen. Uh, yeah. Tracy Gorilla goes into the uh, into the antique mart and pulls out a random knickknack. A painting, uh, a painting, a bugle, a, a, yeah, a, a lamp, a mm-hmm. boomerang, oh, not a boomerang, um, not a boomerang, but like random stuff. Yeah, and just, and the thing is, is that this is a secret message from their boss, Zero, who is uh, voiced by Lou Scheimer, the uh, founder mm-hmm. of Filmation, that gives them their next ghostbusting assignment. Mm-hmm. Why is it hidden? We do not know. Why is it hidden in random stuff? We do not know. Why is it hidden in this antique shop? We do not know. Why isn't their office closer to the antique shop? We do not know. And the ghosts always appear in the same cemetery. Yes. And then go hide out in the exact same castle next to the cemetery in every episode. Literally the first scene of every episode, the ghost pops in like there's nothing there. Mm. And then cheap visual effect just goes through there. And it's like, ah, I am a Viking ghost. I'm going to do Viking things. Oh, look, a castle as befits my standing. And then That's they a, go into this castle. The Viking, by the way, was played by Jim Backus. <laughs> Jim Backus, from, he was he was the millionaire in Gilligan's Island. He was the voice of Mr. Magoo. He was James Dean's dad in uh, A Rebel Without a Cause. And he was Wonderful in, actor. He was in William Castle's Zots. He's, he's, a, he's been around. He's probably the best get that they've he, got he's, he's like the celebrity of the show. There's a lot of like hardworking comedians who would end up having like small roles in a lot of Mel Brooks mm. movies kind of kind of actors. But Jim mm. Backus is like the only person who shows up mm. in this movie besides... Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker, who the typical audience member would go, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the uh, Dr. Centigrade, who had the Yeti, uh, was played by the same actor who played the priest in Spaceballs. That, I, reco- that I recognized him. That kind of <laughs> thing. Because I've seen Spaceballs a bunch. So they get their uh, ghost hunting assignment from a generic knickknack. Mm. And then, uh, just like in the show Mission Impossible, they would say this message will self-destruct in five seconds. At which point, uh, Larry Storch, like... Covers hides. his ears, hides. But Kong, who is, of course, carrying Tracy. the thing. <laughs> wow! <laughs> We're going to do this a lot this oh episode. Tracy, who is yeah. carrying the knickknack, just sits there counting down from five. And only once he hits one does he realize, oh, right, I'm carrying an explosive. And then it blows up. Ha, 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 ha. The story can continue. Uh, at this point, one of two things happen. This is the only variation that these two things might be in different orders. Uh, one, they go to the uh, cemetery to investigate and they have some kind of run-in with the ghost. Two, or possibly the order is reversed, they go back to the office and they decide to research the ghost. At which point, the worst oh gag I've ever seen. And they spend so much time on it. Every like, episode, this goes on for like a minute or two. Mm, and, and this is like a half hour show, so that's a lot of real estate. Uh, where it's the file cabinet gag. Forrest Tucker will tell Larry Storch, go look up the Red Baron in the files. Mm-hmm. So he goes over to this big wall of like old school metal filing cabinets and he tries to open. It's always the top upper right cabinet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't open. He can't open it. And then what happened is he like, he can't open it. That's where the file is. He can't open it. And then he tries to open a different file 
And then that opens, and it opens the correct file. And rather than just leave it open and then go get the correct file, Close. he closes that one, which relocks the other filing cabinet. And this goes on for several minutes. Here's my question at this point. Okay, you're in a you're in a scene with a guy in a gorilla suit, and it's got bombs and stuff, and you're saying really dumb jokes. Yeah, and it's a kids show. It's and a it's, show and for it, little kids, obviously. Yeah, we, yeah. we can we can be a little forgiving. Okay, you're Larry Storch. Mm. Pretend you're Larry Storch for a second. I know a lot of okay, people. I'm very drunk. A, a lot of people don't do that. I was about to say. <laughs> Both. This is uh, that's not a joke. Like apparently, according to Lou Scheimer. Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker, part of their deal with the show was that they both got a lot of booze and they drank on set a lot. They it, were drunk it, for most of the series. It looks like it, especially Larry Storch, who has that kind of sleepy quality. Like, yeah, it looks like, like he's, he's trying sweaty. to stay out. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm not, for, I do not mean to make light of alcoholism, but it's a fact of the production. Yeah. He was drunk most of the time, as was Forrest Tucker. I was Tucker. about to say, when do you start drinking in the day? Yeah. Um, I think I could make it until the filing cabinet sequence, <laughs> personally. <laughs> The filing cabinet sequence is death. And they, they explain in one episode, because there's always some gag about how they get the, the drawer open. Like, mm-hmm. he opens up this one, and then he sticks his hand or puts his foot in it, whatever it is. There's not really a punchline. No. One of them is that they ask Tracy to go around the outside of the building where you can't uh. see him and push it open from the like from the exterior. From the wall. From, like, through the wall. Yeah, and which works. It works, and they explain, because on the other side of their office, and it's only, like, an eight-foot-wide room... Yeah, like the whole there's building a, is only yeah. eight feet wide. There's a like. window out onto the city, and that's a bare wall. It's like, I would feel so claustrophobic if I knew this was like just this one tiny room perched on top of a building. Yeah, that's actually I makes feel it a sound little really, freaked out. It yeah. makes it sound really scary. Like you're mm. all like you're at the top of a ladder, but there's a building on it. Like, mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, Tracy walks around the side of the building, punches the thing open, mm. and then walks around out back. And then does it again later on as a plot point. That's like the only time the gag almost works. Because mm, it pays off. Kind of. There's no other payoffs. No. There's, there's no a like... lot of no payoffs. In fact, here's the thing that offends me the most. The last part of the episode always takes place at a castle. And the castle is clearly a series of flats mm. where they just paint it on like big, you know, castle rocks. You know, the rocks that they use for castles. <laughs> castle. They call, hey, why, where do you I think, you where do you think castle studio. rock comes yeah. from? Um, and, uh, and they would dress it up a little differently every time. Table would be over here. Mm. Now there's a suit of armor. It's the Abominable Snowman episode, so it's snowing inside. But not a lot. It's mm. always clearly the same set. And there was one of the sets that they have for mm. the castle are the Scooby-Doo doors. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the term, and I'm, I'm making this term up, so you probably are. Uh, the Scooby-Doo doors is you you're got the camera at the end of a long hallway. <laughs> and there's six or maybe eight doors, same number on each side, directly across from one another. And the cast of the TV show or the goofy movie run in from the back, hmm. and then they run into one door or another, and then they close the doors, and then there's like an editing trick. Where they just they run, run across again. And they run across again, but now they're in different doors, and hmm. now they're all coming out of the same door. It's a Scooby-Doo door gang. They do it all the time. My my favorite variation of that was in an episode of Futurama. Mm-hmm. They had a Scooby Doo spoof, and they they animated it to look like Scooby Doo. It was one of their tales of interest. And mm-hmm. uh, they got to the chase sequence. They started playing the rollicking Scooby Doo music, and they ran into the back of the uh, the back of that long hallway. And they ran into a door, and it just held on the shot for like three seconds, and nothing happened. Yeah, and then well, they ended it. Well, you know how like Futurama did that like on purpose. Mm-hmm. 
The Ghostbusters does that without thinking about it because they'll set up a Scooby-Doo shot mm. and then a bunch of people run into the scene and then they'll run into a door and then we'll cut to different shots of them running out of doors or we'll just cut to them being in a room and then later on we'll cut back to the hallway and they'll run into a different room. They never do the gag. It's really weird. <laughs> I was just watching... Um, I was just watching the 1960s version of Casino Royale, which if you've mm. never seen it, is really fucking weird because it's a spoof. Mm. It's a spoof of James Bond movies. And the plot is, uh, yeah, the whole thing with Lashif and you have to go in a card game to prevent him from taking all the money, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the actual gag is the spy game has gotten too sexy. So James Bond, David Niven who was the original James Bond before his name and number was given to a new spy who completely sexed up the spy game and it just kills too many people and he's embarrassed to be associated with this guy. Uh, he has to come back into the spy game and de-sexy it because it turns out all the spies that they have are too willing and eager to like have sex, which leaves them vulnerable to getting murdered. And in fact, they have like a whole like wall map of like with like little black flags on it and every black flag is ah yes 002 yes he was killed in a strip club in berlin and ah yes 009 he was killed at a brothel in mm -hmm. switzerland and every single person was killed having sex it's actually a little bit more interesting people give it credit for and some of the gags are really really funny but there's this one weird gag where it's just david niven in his house and he's got this really old butler and the butler comes in with a tray full of fancy china. Mm. And he's carrying it across the frame. And it's rattling. And you're just like, oh, he's going to drop it. Oh, he's going to drop it. And then he doesn't drop it. Mm. That's a whole gag. Yeah. You know what? It kind of worked that time. This joke can work. But mm. it's got to feel intentional. And the Ghostbusters just seems like they didn't know what they were doing. Because it's not replaced with another gag. It's just badly edited. So then the Ghostbusters chase around the ghosts every single goddamn episode. Mm. There's a couple of like maybe uh, uh, mixed up identity things or one time Larry Storage gets turned into a vampire. And then they take the what they call the ghost dematerializer, mm. which looks like if Jack Kirby designed like an old timey 1920s camera. It's kind of cool looking, actually. It's not bad looking. I, I, I like the ghost dematerializer. It, it looks like inventions used mm. to look before people thought yeah. inventions had to look cool. And, they, uh, and then they. Really it, crappy video effect. Yeah. Little, little swirly colors or whatever, mm. and the ghosts go, oh no! And then the ghosts disappear, and then they, we cut back to the office for one last gag and then credit. Mm. That's it. That's every That's single every, episode. Yeah. Uh, right down to the weird mm. aside about Casino Royale from the 1960s. Every episode has that aside. <laughs> it's weird. Um, and unfortunately, all of the ghosts, all of the monsters are pretty much the same. Yep. They're they have all the doofuses. same dynamic. There's one one slightly smarter doofus and one dumb doofus. Some mm -hmm. are a little baffling. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde show up. This one uh, is weird. It's so strange because Dr. Jekyll appears and then Mr. Hyde appears right next to him. Yeah. They're two different people, and Dr. Jekyll doing his uh, James Mason impersonation, which Larry Storch does a, a couple times throughout. Larry Storch is actually pretty good at it. Pretty good. Hello, yeah. hello, people. I'm James hello, Mason. I'm, I'm James Mason. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> people, people of Berlin. <laughs> Ich bin ein Berliner. Um, He's from everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, 
Dr. Jekyll uh, says, I need to rid myself of becoming Mr. Hyde, but Mr. Hyde is just sort of now another ghost who is attached to him. Yeah. But Mr. Hyde in this context is a 1960s comedy caveman. Yeah, right down to like a giant, like a giant club. And, and he's and wearing wears furs. Yeah, wears fur, yeah. He looks like Captain Caveman if he got a haircut. Like that's what he looks like. Mm. And there's a lot to unpack there. First off, I will say, I do like the title of that episode, Jekyll and Hyde together for the first time. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to figure this thing out because usually it's pretty straightforward. Oh, it's Dracula. Cool. I don't need any more than that. It's it's not just it's Count well, and Countess Dracula. I'll, we'll get to that. We'll get right. to that. But my point is that I can figure out Count and Countess Dracula. Yeah. That's a very different version of Mr. Hyde. And what I was thinking initially was without going into the caveman thing. Jekyll's potion was so potent. So powerful mm-hmm. that when he died, there were two ghosts that came out of it. I, I, that's I kind of neat that. yeah. I, can, I can work with that like I can work with that in fact if, work with if that. you were to make like a haunting movie where yeah. you run into a castle and it's haunted by two ghosts but it's Jekyll and Hyde so it's the same ghost yeah, and you're not the, sure that's, which, that's, that's, which one you're getting at any given moment that's not yeah. uninteresting like that's, I can work I can live with that I can live with that it's an EC comics premise yeah. and they're also clearly working with the idea that Hyde is like the regressive part of Jekyll mm. but they took that Un- really literally uncivilized part they yeah. took that really literally and instead of just making him like a brutish man mm. they made him a caveman but as much as that kind of makes sense like again 2am you're high at a Denny's like it kind of <laughs> makes sense <laughs> fucking shamrock I kind of want to do like an entire thing that's just you're high at a Denny's at 2am but uh, uh where's the nearest Denny's to us now a lot of them are closed I think Westwood Maybe so. Um, we should get high and go to Denny's and record a podcast there. I'm not going to a restaurant in the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> when we, when it's safe. Maybe. maybe. Uh, it's, it's Denny's. There's nobody there. <laughs> at 2 a.m. there's always someone. That's true. There, there's all the other drunks and high people. Anyway, uh, but... Uh, what, what was it? What was it what was a caveman. But no, like, yeah. it kind of makes sense if you like work out the math. But you have to do a few mental gymnastics to get there. And if you're not willing to really put some thought into 1975's supernatural kid sitcom the ghostbusters you're not gonna get there no and it's just stupid and not funny stupid just stupid just stupid, stupid. and in fact that's 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 the best word to describe this show stupid stupid it's just stupid stupid yeah i i can roll with funny stupid yeah. I, can, I can even roll with stupid funny mm-hmm. but i can't roll with stupid stupid and, and that's and the ghostbusters is stupid stupid it's just bad bad dumb jokes that they know are dumb and bad oh they know without any hint of irony or knowing about it mm-hmm. without any kind of winks to the audience that they realize they're in something kind of absurd i've noticed that there are like two versions of this kind of stupid stupid mm. there's the stupid stupid for adults in which they usually try to make it sexy okay you yeah, know like, like try the, to throw in some carry, ribald jokes the carry on nurse kind of thing yeah just yeah. some ribald jokes just because listen it's all stupid we're all having a good time here mm. uh now and now you can see my butt yeah. <laughs> my butt's there okay. you shouldn't see my butt uh, richard lester's a funny thing happened on the way to the forum is very much like that. that's yeah. that's cleverer than that but that's the kind of what it's evoking yeah um and then there's the kid version in which there's nothing noteworthy about it mm. of course it shouldn't have any of like any other stuff but like there's nothing to like distract from the fact that it's just stupid. And as a kid, I can picture myself watching this series. And I watched some dumb stuff when I was a kid. A lot <laughs> of it by filmation. Didn't we all? Uh, but I think I would have been offended by this. 
I think it would have been like, you thought this would entertain me? Yeah, I'm, and I'm, let me, I, I'm eight. I've had far too much, far too many grape dude, nuts this morning. I grew up on Dumbo Circus and Mouser Size. This, <laughs> this is bad. Fucking Mouser Size. Mouser uh, Size. Yeah. That was that was a an aerobics show on the Disney Channel for kids, was and a, Mickey was, was there. And I always felt bad for the guy in the Mickey suit who had to do a lot of cardio for half an hour in every that morning. Suit, yeah. yeah, weird show. The, what do you mean the guy? There were like twelve of those guys. They died. <laughs> had to be replaced all the time. Ugh, brutal. Um, mm. So this this is the one that's just like sometimes you appreciate that kids have a goofier sense of humor. Mm. Kids are a lot more forgiving about things like production values and other kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're just like seeing silly people be silly. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's definitely a line where it becomes quality mm-hmm. and where it becomes crap. Boys, yeah, the Ghostbusters they're... crap. <laughs> so I, 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 I give kids a lot of credit. I think kids are way more sophisticated than their entertainment Agreed. would would belie. Yeah. And there are a lot of like really intelligent kids shows out there. But you'll notice those really intelligent kids shows are more typically watched by adults. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of adults talk about uh, how great the new She-Ra show is. Great. I, I, a lot of my friends have kids. The kids don't watch the She-Ra show. They watch the, the She-Ra show when their kids go to bed. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, because everything's on streaming now, though, it doesn't really matter if the, the audience skews older now. No, they'll get there eventually. That used to be a big issue. Like, people would lose advertising dollars because yeah. they're trying to sell kids cereal to, you know, 20-something stoners. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, this is an insult to the intelligence of the children. Yeah. Like, they're not, they're this is rude. half-assing it because they, they said, oh, it's just a kid's show. And I get that they're going after mm-hmm. this kind of, like, cheap B-movie vaudeville shtick. Yeah. You know, the, we're not really trying too hard, we're just hopefully you'll have a good time kind of thing. But there's something about it where you can just tell that Forrest Tucker and Larry Storage, on which the entire series relies, mm. their heart's not in it. No. You can tell. They're, they're doing it. But it looks like they've got the attitude, especially Forrest Tucker, they've got the attitude of the famous person who agreed to go to, like, a friend of their cousin's kid's birthday party Mm. just to be there as a celebrity. Yeah. And, like, I'll do it. I will not be happy and there'd better be beer. Like, Mm. that's where they're... That's where it goes. Like, that's... You've bought my time, but not my enthusiasm. Mm. And... I don't mean to besmirch Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker. They're very talented actors, but just this is just one of those ones where you can just tell they seem to be here for the paycheck. Mm. Um, real fast, because these episodes, again, we've run down the plot of all of them, yeah. but I want to run down the episodes because there's 15 of them, and maybe well, we'll think of something that was let's, noteworthy. Let's, well, let's name check the monsters in each one, because okay. so the that's the only thing that's really different. The first episode one. actually has some pretty good cast mm. in this one, too. It's the Maltese okay. Monkey Obviously, they're doing a Maltese Falcon thing. A couple of ghost gangsters mm. uh, show up, and they're trying to find this mysterious blah blah. Oh, blah. And one here, of whom played by Billy Barty. Yeah, Billy Barty, uh, incredible uh, actor. You probably know him from things like um, UHF. That's uh, how that's how I know him. I know UHF. Him, he was the camera person in UHF. He was also, I think, he was Frodo in Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings when they oh, he's the voice when they wrote Frodo. Okay, it. yeah. Um, and uh, also Johnny Brown from Good Times. Uh, plays the Sydney Green Street role. Yeah. Um, so that's but kind of fun. Billy Barty was also in a lot. Speaking of like TV shows that were like contemporary to the Ghostbusters, yeah. uh, 
it was all the Sid and Marty Croft stuff. Yeah. That was going on in the mid seventies. Billy Barty was in a lot of those. He was uh that that butterfly bug monster in HR Puffin stuff. Oh yeah. Um I think he was um isn't he Sigmund? I actually of don't Sigmund know. of the Sea Monsters? I'd have to look that up. I don't actually know. Uh, he had been acting since age three in nineteen twenty seven. Yeah. He's been around. He was in a real he was in a ton of mm. stuff. Like seriously, look at his career. Mm. It's really incredible. Uh if if you ever saw that movie Masters of the Universe, speaking of filmation. He was Gwildor. He was Gwildor. Yeah, he was. Like he, he had he had a mask on, but that was him. Um so um nothing really noteworthy beyond that, but that's interesting enough. Mm. Uh next up we had Dr. What's his name, which is Dr. the Dr. Frankenstein episode. The Frankenstein monster in this one. Oh, William N. Gesser is his name. This tall guy. I looked him up because I, I could have sworn I'd seen him in something. He 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 looks He's like, like he could be like Richard Keel's younger brother. Yeah, like a, a yeah. C- comedic giant guy. Yeah, surely I've seen that in some bad B movie at some point. Yeah. No, no, it's pretty it, much it, just this. It, this he played uh, Frankenstein's monster, and in the last episode, he played the Yeti. Yeah. It's the same actor in the suit. And, the, and you can tell he's really energized. Like, he's really giving his all. Yeah, he's, he's mugging a lot and doing a lot of yeah. good physical shtick. Yeah. Um, but um, here, it's it's the uh, Abbott and Costello shtick. Mm. They need to give the monster, I think, a better brain. So they're going to try to steal Larry Storch's. Okay. Because mm. uh, he's dumb. The next episode. Because he's a dumb guy. Thank, thank, thank you, Whitney. Mm. Uh, the next episode is actually one of the more high concept episodes that they've got for mm. this series. Uh, it's called the Canterville ghost. It's based on the popular story, the Canterville ghost, which I don't think people know very much anymore, but there's a really wonderful Charles Lawton movie. Mm. And the idea of the Canterville ghost is uh, the ghost is haunting a castle and the ghost is a coward mm. and the ghost cannot find peace. Cannot like go to the afterlife until, until it... the ghost does something heroic. It's a good yeah. switcheroo. And switch in, up. in the original movie, I think it's it's set. I think it's set during World War Two. It might be set during World War One. But the whole thing is like there's a bunch of American soldiers who are using the castle uh, for a bunker or whatever, mm-hmm. and the enemy attacks, and the ghost has to help. And it's really mm-hmm. delightful. It's a really good movie. Uh, the ghost is played by Ted Knight, who is the bad guy in Caddyshack. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're, we're waiting. waiting. Like yeah. that guy. You've seen him in a GIF now. But yeah. <laughs> it's probably most famous as a GIF. I mean, he passed away in the mid-80s, but he still yeah. lives on in a GIF. Um, but uh, but here the gag is there's a lady who just happens to be living at that castle next to the cemetery. I guess she moved in and then quickly moved out before next week. Uh, <laughs> and she's just going about her housekeeping business. And then something, presumably a ghost, keeps like messing up and changing the radio station or whatever. And finally she goes, ah, forget it. I'll just call the Ghostbusters. And then she runs off. And then it turns out it's not the Canterville ghost. It's just some guy who is trying to scare her out of her house so he can search the house for jewels. And and he looks like a comedic gangster. Like, I think, didn't they, I think they may have even given him like a false nose to make him look more like rodent-y. Well, he's played by Len Lesser. Uh, who was in Kelly's Heroes, How to Stuff a Wild Bikini. Mm. He was Uncle Leo on Seinfeld. That's how you know him. Okay. That's actually a pretty good actor. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. big yet, but he, that's a pretty pretty big actor. Um, and then it turns out the Canterville Ghost also lives there, and he needs to do something heroic, and he actually ends up saving her from a potentially frightening situation that saves his soul, and mm. yada yada. This interesting thing where a lot of the ghosts on this show, like some of them are villainous, Talk mm-hmm. about things like taking over the world or cutting out Larry Storch's heart or something, you know, bad. Some of them are pretty benign. And it's weird, actually, that we need to send them to another dimension because I feel like some of them you could just solve their earthly problems and then they'd go happily. 
And it's never really explained why. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's, uh, what do they call it in Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Like our hometown is situated on like a Hellmouth? Hellmouth. Hellmouth. Yeah. I guess that yeah. cemetery is it's, a Hellmouth. It's like, it's like a, a, a confluence of like supernatural energy and supernatural mm-hmm. stuff is drawn to it without mm-hmm. even anyone thinking about it. Yeah. Um, if the ghosts always show up in the same cemetery, why don't they just live next to the cemetery? Yeah. If they always go to the same mansion, why don't they just live in that mansion? Why don't they live in that mansion? <laughs> I guess it's expensive. Clearly not. It's abandoned. Well, yeah, but that's because it's abandoned. Doesn't mean that people There's... don't want money for it. It's prime real estate. It's got, it's got good bones. Like cemetery adjacent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. That's one of those things that you don't want it to be useful, but one day it will be, and you'll yeah. be glad. I once looked at an apartment that was right across the street from a casket emporium, <laughs> and, uh, and and no, that excited me. I thought, oh, the, how yeah. grim! This is really gonna this is gonna be kind of fun. Yeah. And uh, and I even said, uh, she said, oh, it's close to like there's a school down the street and there's a grocery store over there. And I said, yeah, and it's this is the land person. I said, yeah, and it's right across the street from the casket emporium, and they looked really embarrassed. Like, <laughs> no, put that in the ads, man. You'll get more people, freaks, but you'll get more people. Yeah. Uh, the next episode was Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? Uh, and this one, there is a fortune teller and a werewolf. The werewolf is a guy who acts like a dog most of the time, but sometimes he has uh, werewolf makeup. Who's Lenny Weinrib? He has a long uh, voice acting career. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And uh, thereafter, an amulet, which will, I think, cure the werewolf? Oh, dig it. Uh, Lenny Weinrib, I was just looking him up. He played Grimace. <gasps> In the original McDonald's commercials. Nothing can kill the Grimace. <laughs> that's awesome, actually. I didn't know that. That's that's really, really And funny. he was also H.R. Puffin stuff. Like, yeah. actually H.R. Puffin stuff. Oh, and uh, mm. uh, uh, the uh, the fortune teller was actually Nora Denny, who mm. was Mrs. TV on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, so if if you're into, like, obscure 60s TV comedians, yeah. this, this show it's is a, a little bit of a treasure trove for you. Yeah, but, like, most of the time it's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of recognize them yeah. from something. Uh, but yeah, we're, we were born in, in like the 70s and 80s, so yeah, we're we're a generation removed from that stuff. But uh, in this one, they're trying to get an amulet. The Ghostbusters have the amulet. Mm. Oh, just give them the amulet, dude. Why, the why make the werewolf acts like a funny dog guy. Yeah. Uh, the next one's called The Flying Dutchman. And this one, they've got ghost pirates. Mm. Um, and they've... They've got the, ghost they, they pirates. Go, they go yard. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of and then corn is there. There's a lot of ghost pirates. Then there's a ghost pirates in the next episode. Wait, hold on. I think Stanley Adams was in something. Oh, so we had a Cyrano Jones from Star Trek. Okay, he was he was one of the ghost pirates. Oh, that's right. Yeah, just thought that was worth noting. I knew he was in something, and I couldn't remember. He was also Captain Courageous in the 1960s Batman series. So I guess we'll get to that eventually. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess there was a bad guy named Captain Courageous. Uh, and then, yeah, so uh, they, they've they got a Dutchman and they're trying to... Anyway, the next one, there's a dummy. I Oh, this one has a weird, creepy twist. That's right. Because the whole time is there's a guy, and it's like the ventriloquist, that Batman villain who's got like a dummy and it's all kind of bad guy and creepy. Played, and then played it... by a real stage ventriloquist, though, named yeah. Tim Herbert. And um, the, they're trying to stop this ghost, trying to stop this ghost, and at the end... It turns out that the tall guy was the dummy the whole time, and the dummy was a little kid ghost, <laughs> which is yeah. actually really creepy because then you see the dummy in his face, and it's all cheap, so it makes it worse, like scarier. <laughs> it's really weird. It's really um, weird. Um, dummy, always to think, scary. I'm trying to think is where else have I seen that? Oh, uh, you ever see that sh- that movie Dead Silence with the creepy doll? Oh yeah. That's a. It turns out one of the human actors was really like a really elaborate dummy. Yeah, there's a, there's some um, creepy stuff in that the movie. Doesn't work, but there's some creepy stuff in it. 
Oh, I mean, that was... It was all in that sort of early 2000s horror movie where they're just throwing everything at the wall. I'm just saying it's a good, it's a good drive-in kind of movie. You yeah. Know? It's like, so. it's just kind of crazy and fun. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see what we got here. The then next up, we had... A mummy. Yeah, a... There's a queen and a mummy. Uh, the yeah. queen is played by Barbara Rhodes, who had roles in things like The Goodbye Girl mm. and she, Harry and Tonto. She was in Soap. I remember seeing her on Soap. Oh, yeah, you're right. Good catch. Mm. Um, and... Um, Good the, times and the, were had by all. We, we've complained before about how low, uh, low down the totem pole uh, mummies are. Yeah, and how the, and, and, the, and the monster canon. The it's monster, always like yeah, vampires it's, and it's, werewolves yeah, and ghosts and Frankenstein. Dracula's at the top. Uh, Frankenstein's monster, the bride, and the Wolfman all kind of vie for secondary position. I think Frankenstein's a comfortable second. I think the other yeah. the other ones are vying for third. All right, and and yeah, mummy is always fourth, yeah. fourth or fifth in that down that line. Yeah, well, Phantom of the Opera is always way down there because his his stick yeah. is too niche. Fan, Phantom and the Invisible Man, they're all like yeah. way yeah. down at the bottom. Whatever. Anyway, uh, but, but I appreciate that the mummy is just sort of like a brute. Yeah, and it's the queen who is the true villain of the episode. True. Uh, next up, we have which which is which, which in it's, which it's, case it's Witchy Poo from H.R. Prof and stuff like comes oh. just well, it's not the same actress, just she looks like Witchy Poo. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. she, uh, the witch is played by Anne Morgan Gilbert. Uh, Anne Morgan Gilbert plays um, a witch. Well, her her magic trick is that she can turn into a different actress. Yeah, she turns into like a, a a tall blonde woman in a slinky red dress, and she seduces Larry Storch. And oh god, I feel a little sick. <laughs> the idea of seducing Larry Storch. Just, just yeah, just the idea that there's seduction going on in this show. It's like, uh, don't don't put sexuality into this, please. No, I don't want it. No, thank you. Pass. Yeah. Hard pass. Uh, uh, the, the younger version of the witch is played by Lee Christian, who doesn't have a particularly long career. She did a lot of TV. She was in stuff like the $6 billion man, the Rockford files, emergency mm-hmm. beyond Atlantis. Oh, she's in the world's greatest athlete, which we're actually going to review next month on, uh, not on Disney plus. Oh, that's right. That's so the, we'll be running it there again. Someone where Tarzan as a football star. There you go. You know, like yeah. happened. Um, and then, uh, then, then, uh, she's trying to. Stop. There's a spell. Anyway, uh, they went. <laughs> what do I? What do you want yeah, from me? Yeah, we, we covered the plot and everyone. So we ne- this next episode, this is the key one where I'm just like, why are we even fighting this? The next episode is called They Went That Away. Mm-hmm. And this is the one with Billy the Kid and Bell Star. Mm-hmm. And they have Billy the Kid, of course, is a famous outlaw. They've come back to life. They've come back to the human world to rustle cattle. They want food. They don't, even, they don't oh, want to true. wrestle cattle. They're just wrestling cattle because they just want good food. They make a joke that like, oh, well, since we've been died, all we've been eating is angel food cake. And then they're like, no, we've been eating devil's food cake oh. because they're in hell. Mm. So I'm just like, get them a burger. Like, seriously, we don't need to go through all of this. Bring them some food. They'll go. Uh, that's, a, that's a reasonable request. Uh, I wouldn't fight that. That's stupid. Um. Billy Kidd's played by Marty Ingalls. Ah, yes. Who, who I've seen in a bunch of stuff. He did a lot of uh, cartoon voices. A lot of He was Pac-Man on the Pac-Man TV series. The Pac-Man TV series is one of the worst things we've produced as a species. It's, a, it's, uh, it's, um... It's quite, quite bad. There was a, there was that Penn and Teller movie where, like, aliens had come to the planet Earth, and they needed... Penn and Teller movie with aliens? I, 
might have been a TV special, but they did. Okay. A Penn, there was a Penn and Teller thing where it's a Penn and Teller movie. It's called Penn and Teller get killed, and there's no aliens. In there's it. one Penn and Teller special that they did, I think, and it was uh, aliens have come to Earth, and they're going to destroy the Earth unless Earth proves that they can offer something to the universe that no other planet has. Okay, and as a result, government agents have started coming in and grabbing the weirdest people they could find because they've run out of ideas. Okay, and they get Penn and Teller. And Penn and Teller, uh, at first they tried just saying like, well, you don't have Elvis. And like, yeah, it's too specific. That's that's obviously a loophole. We're not going to fall for that. We're mm-hmm. super smart aliens. I'm like, okay, fine. So they try to teach them a magic trick called magic string. You don't have invisible string, do you? And they show them this magic trick. And the alien's like, you have appeased us. No other planet in the universe is full of such horrible liars. And then they go. Okay. It was a short or a TV special. Sounds or very Penn and Teller. It's very uh, Penn and Teller. It was funny. Um, but um, that's... Um, I forget why I said this. Oh, don't <laughs> don't show them the show. That's my point. Don't show the aliens this show. They'll just zap us into oblivion and we'll be done. That's why, that's why I brought this up. Okay. All right. The next episode... Jesus Christ. This episode. Yeah, but, but two-thirds I, of the I, way through I really it. liked Bell Star. Another note. I really like Bell Star's Brooke Tucker. I think she, yeah, she's she had a lot of comedic chops. Okay. Uh, next up, The Vampire's Apprentice. Uh, there is a kooky Dracula. A very old Dracula. Very That's the joke. old He's Dracula. very old. Yeah. And, and uh, Countess Dracula is, is the one, kind of the one in charge. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the case. Mm. Um, and uh, she is played by Dina Dietrich, uh, who was, I believe, I think she was Madeline Kahn's like, lady-in-waiting in the Roman section of History of the World Part One. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, she was in a lot of stuff. She was in uh, Golden Girls for a while, I think, too. Um so uh and uh they uh uh this is a, one of the weirder vampire rules i've run into because you know when you do a vampire movie there are certain vampire rules yeah. but not every movie so, follows all of them some kind of hold steady like the sunlight drinking blood yeah garlic those yeah. are usually the standbys but sometimes garlic they say oh garlic is a myth or the mirror thing is a myth this or, is or uh, we're going to incorporate some like ancient thing mm. that no one ever talks about like they can't cross running water like you have to but, uh, clarify your vampire rules when you do a vampire story i appreciate this because it makes just as much sense as the regular vampire rules if a vampire bites you you become a vampire uh-huh. if you bite him back they turn human <laughs> or you turn back into a human yeah if you bite the vampire larry storch becomes I, a vampire i i i almost like that because it's got that like amnesia logic yeah, like you, cartoon you, energy, you get hit on the head, you forget who you are, you get hit on your head again, you remember. That's why I carry a bat with me everywhere <laughs> I go. If I if I mess something up, I just hit everybody. That's not that's not true. I knew someone who had amnesia. That's not true. That's no, not it's not, that's not the way it works. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's usually trauma related. It's usually trauma. <laughs> it, it, it usually doesn't last as long as it does in the movies. Right. But anyway. Um, that, that is it, both emotional and physical trauma, like a yeah. br- actual brain the, the, injury. The person I knew had a blow to the head, but yeah. like it's they they were fine later. But um any case, yeah, so this whole, like, oh, if you've been by a vampire, cool. Well, it's not much of a curse, then, if you could just bite another vampire mm-hmm. and, and stop and being a vampire. Back, yeah. Like, the whole problem of being a vampire, like, ah, sunlight, or, ah, I hate drinking blood, I feel so guilty killing, or everyone I know is dead because I'm so old. Bite. Great. I'm okay Why now. is this, what? It's, it kind of neutralizes the whole thing. It's too easy. Uh, Larry Storch becomes a vampire. The sight of him in fangs made me a little sick. Uh, it's, uh, it's not great. <laughs> there, and there's a, a really bizarre scene where uh, Count Dracula comes back from getting like some cosmetic surgery. 
He had his teeth lengthened. Oh, it's so weird. They're like so the weird. size of like like they go they all go the way down like his drinking chest. straw. Yeah, they go all the yeah. way down his chest, and it's just it's, really it's, weird looking. It's just an uncomfortable image. He bites a tree in one point, and his yeah. teeth get stuck. The next episode is Jekyll and Hyde. We already covered that. Mm. Uh, the next episode is <laughs> the Red Baron episode. It's called "Only Ghosts Have Wings." Get it? Only angels have wings. Was the movie? Uh, and in this it's a good one, movie, by the way. Watch that. Oh one. yeah, I think it's a little obscure for a lot of modern audiences, but it's uh, really good. This one has the Red Baron. Uh, the Red Baron is played by Howard Morris. And Howard a, Morris was a, he was in a ton of stuff. And he, was, he has uh, a sidekick in this episode who is... A, the Red Baron is German, but his sidekick is an American mechanic. And even the Red Baron is confused by this. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. Um, and but, they, they give like maybe one or two lines of dialogue as to how they ran into each other and mm-hmm. why they're tooling around together still. Um, kids our age would probably know Howard Morris best as the voice of Wade the Duck on Garfield and Friends. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very recognizable, mm-hmm. uh, very recognizable voice. Yeah. Wonderful actor, did a lot of work with uh, Mel Brooks. He was in High Anxiety, and if memory serves, Life Stinks, which is Mel Brooks' worst movie, but that's... Oh, Billy Barty was in Life Stinks, too. No, yeah, that... that, that... Mel Brooks just went to this show and just started scooping him up by the handful. Sure, I'm sure that's where he knew them from. <laughs> yeah. All right, next up, the Vikings have landed. This is the Jim Backus episode. Jim Backus, to his credit, throws himself into this. He's doing it for the kids. He's <laughs> he's got a, he's got some community service to work <clears throat> off or something, and he's gonna really try. And he's wearing the big Viking getup, and he's jumping around mm. and saying, "Oh, we're going to." And the whole thing is they're here to prove that they discovered America first. Mm. There's no consequence for that. There's no like, they, oh no, they'll a, they'll own America, and then we'll. All they pay taxes to the Vikings. Well, they they want history to re- you know, report on them accurately. Do you remember yeah. in uh, in um, uh, uh, Freaky Links? Yeah, or not Freaky Links. Um, um, uh, the other one with the three three stoners in a van who are solving ghost problems. Oh, oh what was that? Uh, they were the band. Yeah, we were, did this show. Yeah, we covered that show. It was it was fine actually. It was pretty I, good. I actually really liked that show. It, was it was it, it was it Tyler Labine? No, it was, it was like dead waste, dead wasted, wasted wasted space, dead dead air, dead uh, something, dead not dead again. Oh my god, this is, this is our <laughs> show. This is our show. Hold on, I'm gonna maybe, look up. Maybe I should cut this some, part out. No, I'm I'm leaving it in. This right. is our shame. Right. We have, and I am amazed that this exists. Mm. Someone who listens to this show, and bless you, whoever you are, mm. has not only made but updated a TV tropes page for this, po- uh, page for this podcast. So I'm looking it up here because I think every episode is listed there. <laughs> okay. Um, well, there were, there was an episode where uh, these three wasteoids found uh, a. A widget that let them talk to ghosts mm. and uh they in in what in the first episode you know they could see ghosts and all the ghosts realized that if they could solve their final earthly problems then they would uh ascend dead last dead last that was it that i know was it was dead something uh dead, seriously thank you ever put together this yeah, page it's been a lifesaver for me dead, dead last <laughs> um and yeah there was one scene where uh they just Two of the main cast members in a room, and they're like, they're, they've sat down at desks, and ghosts are just coming up to them one after a lo- one one after the other in a long line, saying, "Here's my grievance." They're saying, "Okay, well, here's what we can do about that." Next, okay, and one guy <laughs> sat down. It's like, "Well, what's your big problem?" Well, I invented jazz. You invented jazz, like just you. You were the one. It's like, yeah, my 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 name is Morse. 
Morris Delarge, whatever his name was. Yeah. And I want to, I want everybody to know I invented jazz. And the guy just says, Hey everybody, this guy invented jazz. Everybody clapped and he vanished. <laughs> that, was <a> <laughs> that was the, like, the, that's that it. was it. That's, that's it. Yeah. Just tell everybody like, who cares? <laughs> just let Jim Backus have this one. Who gives a crap? So that's what they're up to. Yeah. <laughs> they just uh, want, want to be recognized. And I don't blame them. Like it's perfectly, mm. I mean, granted other people were here first, but from mm. Europe, Mm. Yeah, they were the first. They deserve at least a, an asterisk. Uh, next up, it's the Merlin episode. Merlin the Magician. This is the one where Merlin and his like crony don't want to be here. And mm. they when they run into the Ghostbusters, they're just like, yeah, zap us. We don't want to be here. <laughs> and like, oh, okay. And so they do. And then they're like, yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> and and uh, th- this is, is unique for two reasons. Uh, Merlin is played by the great Ballantine, a real magician, mm-hmm. which I appreciated. And this is the only one that had a real villain. Yeah. Like somebody who was not well, a just... separate villain. Sometimes the ghosts are the villains. But this I, is a, I suppose a so, villain. but yeah. but this is a villain who is actually like villainous. Like mm-hmm. actually feels scary and a little bit of a threat, and mm-hmm. that's Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, as played by Ina mm-hmm. Ballin, uh, who was on Battlestar Galactica. She was in Comancheros. Uh, yeah, and pretty she, long career, actually. This is the only performer in this entire show that is playing like a serious role. Yeah. <laughs> like is actually playing a role. Not just yeah. doing shtick Actually, of some kind. Yeah, like even Jim Backus, who was having fun, mm. she's playing a character and she's committing to it and she's okay. Yeah. Like, it's not a great role, but she's doing it. It, it feels like a great role after, because this was, <laughs> this is the second to last episode. Yeah. And every, you know, and our I, standards I, have been lowered by now. Yeah, like I, I've, I've been, uh, I've been told that this was cereal, but I'm just eating sawdust this yeah. entire time. So brutal. Anyway, the last episode is the Abominable Snowman. Here we actually have... His name is Doctor Centigrade, but it's he's Mr. basically he's Mr. Basically, Freeze. Yeah. I was gonna call him Cold Miser, but okay. Oh, well, he's, he lo- he looks more like the Cold Miser. He he looks like the Cold Miser. Uh, this is the one, Ronnie Graham. He was the uh, uh, the priest in Spaceballs, hmm. and uh, he's got a Yeti with him, uh, played by Richard Balin again, and he's got to get the Yeti like a warm heart. So that the Yeti mm. will stop freezing everything he touches, and he won't be cold all the time. And the Yeti has that superpower. Yeah. Sadly, it doesn't pay out. Like he doesn't freeze everything. You or, would like, think start... that would matter. You'd have like an ice cube prop of some kind, yeah. and Larry Storch would be in a big ice cube. That doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. If happen. This was animated. That would happen. No, I'm sure yeah. it would have. Um, and uh, the Yeti is actually kind of a fun looking thing. It, it looks like the Grimace if he was covered in gray hair. There's no eyes. You know it's what? Just a... It could have easily been a Grimace costume. It could have been. It could have. Yeah, I actually like, wouldn't like, be shocked. Like it doesn't have. Yeah, it has like little tiny eye holes uh, and just, uh, like a big sort of rounded behind. And, um, and it's it's really. I, I think it's it's like it's so goofy looking. I'm like rolling with it's it. It's a, a little cute bit. costume. I'll yeah. give it that. But he's got the shtick mm. that always drives me up the wall. It's this, and it's the same joke over and over again. They do this joke like 50 times in 30 minutes. Uh, it's uh, Doctor Centigrade will say something, and the Yeti will kind of mishear him. Mm. So we say, "Why are you so dense?" And of mm. course, the Yeti will start well, dancing. Dance, yeah. And this happens like three times. Mm. And I'm like, it wasn't funny the first time, and it's not getting funnier. Just just stop. And mercifully, at this point, they did. Because this <laughs> yeah. is the last this episode. This is the last episode. 15 episodes of this thing. There's, there's two things of note that we haven't talked about that... One is actually a bit that I actually thought was kind of funny because it was so weird. Hmm. I was actually like, oh, okay, I'm going with this. There's a bit where Larry, at the beginning of the episode, when they're in the office and they're doing their shtick, hmm. Larry Storch comes in and he's very, very proud. He's like, you wouldn't believe what I just bought off a guy in the street. And Forrest Tucker is like, oh, what, did you buy the Brooklyn Bridge? And he was hmm. like, yeah, I did. And he's like, oh, God, this whole gag. 
What are you gonna do? Put it like in the bill, like in the alleyway next to us? Well, I was thinking about it. Like, won't fit in the alleyway next to us, you dolt. He's like, oh, so he leans out the window. Tear, tear it down, it, tear boys. It down boys. And they just start tearing down the Brooklyn Bridge. And there's a guy in a construction hat, like, you sure? He's like, all right, crunch. And I'm like, okay, that's actually kind of funny because mm. that implies that he actually brought the Brooklyn Bridge over here mm. and no one, no one noticed. And oh, yeah, that's, that, just... that's so broad that I was amused. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. That's yeah, fine. I'm that not was, gonna, yeah. It wasn't laugh out loud funny, but it was like, huh. It was a gag. That's, that's, that's a, there's a joke. It's funnier there. than them throwing a frisbee out the window and saying, "Look, it's a flying saucer," and then an alien appears. Yeah, and jumps after him. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other thing is actually something that I was wa- I watched a lot of episodes of this with my wife and mm. Michelle. Golly, I hope you had some booze or something. <laughs> no, she's wonderful. In fact, she actually said that it was actually kind of like calming to her. She said that a show that relies this heavily on a rigid formula. Mm-hmm. Doesn't bother her so much because she grew up with Sailor Moon. And if you've ever actually watched Sailor Moon, the original Sailor Moon, oh my god, is there a formula? And it's the <laughs> same every time. Well, they would change the formula slightly like every season because there'd be like a new villain mm-hmm. who would send different types of monsters out. But once they established in the first episode of the season, this is the formula. That was the formula until like the final two-part episode. And the only difference at all would be where the fighting took place and what the monster looked like. Yeah. And sometimes the monster looked so incredibly stupid, you just, you had to see it to believe it, and it was a delight. But there's something comforting about it. Mm-hmm. And so she found the reliance on formula, even the show wasn't very good, it's kind of relaxing. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't too against it. The thing that bothered her is, the it's not that it isn't funny. Mm-hmm. It's not why it isn't funny. It's why it's supposed to be funny. And you and I are just sort of offended because it's, badly written the timing is awful they clearly didn't do a lot of takes they didn't polish this and make it funny to, mm. that the people would actually like it michelle on the other hand is particularly interested in the history of uh spiritualism yeah in particular sure. around the the turn of the 18th to 19th centuries uh or sorry the 19th 20th centuries where uh people almost exclusively women uh, we're turning our collective interest into the supernatural into a business. And many of them were con artists mm. and they would do things like hold seances and they would like rig contraptions around and they would do they, like these really elaborate visual would effects. Float and tables yeah. would levitate. And, yeah. and we talked about this recently. I think I forget when we talked about Harry Houdini in a recent episode of something, mm. but um, Harry Houdini wanted to debunk all these people. But the problem is that although to an extent, yeah, there's this sort of, you, you are taking advantage of some people, uh, who maybe mm. in mourning that's that's a real issue um this was also a way for women to actually like make a living assert themselves find a place in the in the in a system mm. that actually wanted no part of mm. women being part of a workforce and definitely no part of the religious experience yeah so there's something fascinatingly feminist about that history and when you have a supernatural show that's reducing the concept of spiritualism to look at all these dumb guys, make it dumb, mm-hmm. and then you can't, like, take it seriously anymore. And it's just basically men ruining stuff that women <laughs> made cool and women actually found empowering. Mm-hmm. And she pointed this out, and I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, that does suck. And if you think about it, there's an element of that in the Ivan Reitman Ghostbusters as well, where we're taking the idea of ghosts, the afterlife, mm-hmm. our our spirituality, literally and figuratively. 
And we're just making it, it fodder into... for, for dumb jokes. Well, D- it, Better it, jokes yeah. in the Ghostbusters. I love that movie, don't get me wrong. But there's something to that. Well, here, where it's, it's a, a bunch of men taking the yeah. purview of women. Uh-huh. And we're going to take it over and we're going to make it more masculine. We're going to make it about guys doing guy stuff and hitting on women who don't want to hit on them. But eventually decide to date them anyway because he's Bill Murray. Like there's a lot in there <laughs> where it might not necessarily consciously been on their mind but they're kind of subverting something that wasn't there and that kind of yeah. sucks well the, the i was actually talking to michelle about this and the the arc i saw in this was uh <clears throat> very strongly related to satanic panic yeah. uh you're not the only one to have pointed this out but you bring it up pretty often mm-hmm. but uh, scooby-doo where are you which debuted in 1969 yeah uh, was is a very secular show in its original. It's, in its original, yeah. I mean, later on there were actual like phantoms and ghosts and werewolves and stuff. But yeah, on, in its original run back in 1969, it was never the supernatural. It was mm. always some capitalist dickhead. Yeah, someone was who was about, exploiting the supernatural. It was about an, spirituality. Old, an older generation who was taking advantage of spirituality and a new generation of hippies young kids mm. who are having nothing of the previous generation's corruption and uh, exposing all of their, their like eldritch mysticism yeah. as something that was uh, only per- pertaining to greed. Not only there was not, nothing yeah. spiritual about it. Yeah. There was nothing supernatural about it. It was just about fighting the previous generation's capitalist greed. A, a ca- capitalist Cause, greed cause and also religious greed. Because they were also a lot of that sort of implied, I, but I like, suppose so, but, but it, yeah. it was mostly like real estate guys. Yeah. But so, my point is that those real estate guys were taking advantage of the fact that people believed in the unknown. People believed in yeah. ghosts. And so if you disprove the existence mm. of ghosts and you prove that the only people who are perpetuating the idea that spirituality is real mm. are people who stand to make money off of it, mm. that was a pretty subversive show for a good show. I, I think, I don't think the, the creators of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, were really thinking along those lines. I don't but it's care in what there. they were thinking. Um, it's in there, and it's consistent. It's, yeah. Uh, until they changed it. Um, yeah, until, until you get Scrappy-Doo, and then you realize, I, I, I would convert to anything to make that thing go away. <laughs> uh, what, what I see the Ghostbusters 1975 as, and to, and to the same extent Ghostbusters 1984, is that stuff is real now. There mm-hmm. are ghosts in both of these things. Sure. Uh, in... The 1975 show, ghosts are no longer threatening. They're real, but we're they're not just something we can goof on. Yeah. Uh, it's not about proving that the ghost doesn't exist, but that the ghost does still exist, but we're so disillusioned that we're, there's no wonderment to it anymore. Yeah. There's no fear. There's nothing. In fact, we can just use a machine to get rid of them. And that's in the and 75. Or, at least in Ghostbusters yeah. 1984 and, and mm. beyond, uh, there's, there is a threat. Ghostbusters there's, there's, are real and it does cre- matter. There's, there's, a, does, there's a credible yeah. threat and yeah, the the story is written in such a way that if the ghosts become too powerful, humans will die and the ghosts yeah, will the take over the world. apocalypse will yeah. come. Like, that's an actual legitimate yeah. concern. Yeah. It's not just a but, goof. But the gag is that these guys are 1980s Reagan capitalists. Yeah. And it's not just that the science, the machines that they're inventing, it's not about the engineering necessarily. It's that regular workaday blue-collar... Uh, middle-class worker guys Mm -hmm. are the ones who are going to take on the supernatural. That force, Mm -hmm. boring middle-class, blue-collar working-class people are the ones that are going to take down the supernatural. That's more important and more powerful Mm -hmm. than extra-dimensional beings. And there's a gag in there, of course, that something so commonplace is more powerful than the supernatural. But it's also 
very much talking that up. It's a very like Reaganomics movie. Yeah. The, the 1984 film. And what we're talking about is one of the reasons why I actually, and I, 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 it's a sloppy film, but I actually am kinder to Paul Feig's movie than a lot of other people, mm. which there's a lot of stuff I love in that movie. It's, edited real not great like the pacing's not great i don't think the story is constructed i think the story structure is fine but i think paul feig was at a point in his career where he thought the best comedy was just letting his actors riff for forever mm. and it was way too structured a narrative to allow for that yeah and it just the, the movie kind of imploded under it but i still like it i still like the cast i like the characters and i think that I think the fact that paul feig allowed that movie to get out of hand and let it allowed the pacing to get too loose mm obfuscated the fact that his version of it is more about the early version of spiritualism where here are a bunch of women saying ghosts are real mm. and actually making a business out of this and what are the men doing coming in to disprove them and that's literally bill murray's role he plays that's the right. houdini character he plays the he skeptic plays, yeah. he plays houdini he has come in to disprove them and there's something to that that i thought was really interesting and i think people were so antagonistic to that movie mm. that they weren't even looking to see if there was something interesting there. Some people did, yeah. but a lot of people just weren't interested in looking and they just looked at it as, eh, that's not as cleanly constructed as the original and the gags aren't quite as memorable. So it's bad. That's, I think there's more to it than that. There, there's, there's something to it, but the film is so caustic and, and fr frankly, caustic. frankly annoying that it's difficult to see anything. I, I feel like Kate McKinnon's character in that movie is one of the more interesting, like mainstream studio characters mm. I've seen in a while. She is an introverted extrovert. Mm. where she has trouble developing meaningful relationships with people, but her the way that she handles that mm. isn't by retreating inward. It's by being more outgoing and being mm. more loud and funny. Yeah, she's, and she's an outsider kook. Kind, kind, kind of that, a boilerplate type of character. No, but that's yeah. absolutely not what she is, and that All really right. bothers me that people are writing her off like that because I actually am like right on that cusp of introverted mm. and extrovert, and I don't see me on television very much. Like I do, I, neither I, do I. I don't want to. <laughs> well, fair enough. Right. But you know what? Hmm. It happened, okay. and I saw that character, and she meant something to me. Okay. So I'm trying to share this moment with you, and you're writing hmm. her and me off as a kook. Hmm. Okay. So I'm just going to say this right now. I really like that character. I think she's hmm. actually really interesting and has some real depth to her. And I think Kate McKinnon plays her really, really well. And it bothered me that that character didn't find a larger audience hmm. because the movie was part of this weird. Yeah, well, fucking like misogynistic flashpoint and people had to could only look at the film through certain lenses at yeah, the time like and it, it pissed it, me off the, the, even the, if they liked it there was a lot of people the, the just, marketing around yeah. it did affect the way a lot of people watched that movie yeah. and uh, when critics saw the movie they did praise kate mckinnon particularly yeah. like she was she so. she was the funniest part of the movie mm. i think if it was just her and leslie jones it would have been a better movie <laughs> you might be right yeah. I mean, I, I like Kristen Wiig and Liz McCarthy too, but I think they're interesting I, characters. I, I think they're fine. They're just not good in that movie. Yeah. They're actually incredibly talented, just yeah. not in that movie. Well, anyway. Anyway, um, mm -hmm. so that's the Ghostbusters 1975. Mm -hmm. If it had continued for 100 episodes, can you imagine? No. Can you imagine Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker doing the same episode 100 times? Can you imagine how they, that would they, eat away at be, their soul? Uh, I said they'd be dead from alcohol poisoning at well, that point. I, I don't want to make light of alcoholism, but like it's it seriously, yeah. well, but, that sounds but dangerous. You, you said that they were drinking on set. They were. So if they I, needed that much booze well, to get through. And right? I mean this like from a sensitive perspective, like mm. ba ba uh, Batman, Ben Affleck has talked about mm. how playing Batman and everything that came with it exacerbated his own alcoholism. 
Mm. And that's one of the reasons why he was comfortable leaving the role. I feel a lot of people are just like, I want Bat- Ben Affleck back as Batman. Mm. I'm like, maybe it's not for the best. For yeah, him. Maybe it's hurting him. Yeah, and he's he's agreed. You, have come... you have you seen The Way Back? Like yeah. that's a really personal film for Ben Affleck. And and he's agreed to come back and do some reshoots for Justice League, and I hear he mm. might do a cameo in the Flash if that ever gets made. But like I th- I think it's okay for him to be done. And I watch this movie and I, I feel bad for Forrest Tucker and Larry Storch, because they're mm. very talented comedians. Forrest Tucker's been a talented serious actor as well. I haven't mm. seen Larry Storch do serious work. Maybe he's good at that too, but I've they, only they ever deserve... seen him do like broad stuff. Me but... too. But like, no, maybe. My point is this, they're better than this. Hell, Bob Burns is better than this. <laughs> Everyone's better than this. Like, I'm glad that this is over. <laughs> For the sake of everyone involved. I'm mm. sure they would have made some more money. No. But that's it. That's that's the only thing they would have had. And you know what? They all had careers afterwards. Mm. They were fine. I'll say this. Um even though Larry Storch, Forrest Tucker, and Bob Burns, Bob Burns a little bit more so, he seemed to be having some fun. Well, Bob Burns is doing clearly, he clearly yeah. likes playing a gorilla. So yeah, so he's, like, he's just him. being a funny gorilla. Yeah. He's, he's having a good time, and he's yeah. very expressive. He's, he actually he's, is a good as a gorilla actor. But I, I don't know if he enjoyed the show, Larry, but if anyone did, it was probably him. Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker are not having fun. They're just yeah, sort of especially Forrest walking Tucker. through this. But at the same time, I don't sense a lot of like loathing. I didn't see a lot of like they're professional enough that they never communicated that they just didn't want to be there that day. I picked up on it. You did I, a little I, bit, especially uh, from Forrest Tucker. Forrest Tucker. I mean, he's playing a grumpy character, so maybe that worked in his favor. I but, mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you might have been able to disguise it a little bit better, mm-hmm. but man, I just you, I could tell his heart really wasn't in this thing a lot of the time. All right. Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm projecting because my heart wasn't in this. <laughs> my heart was far away. Yeah. Um, I, I watched this entire series over the course of two days. Oh Jesus! Dude. And, it, I, and, it, and it really like so, this so, one took me three. Some of these shows, some of these shows we watch, you know, uh, even if they're bad, I can kind of roll with it and understand mm-hmm. what they're going for. But some of these are just a real chore. This was yeah. one of the tougher ones. This is the toughest one we've like, done in a bit. Yeah, yeah. like th- this was Hanna Barbera, almost Hanna Barbera level of pain. And again, we're in a weird situation. This show was not meant to be binged. It really wasn't. It no. wasn't designed to be binged. It was designed to be on once a week mm. for kids programming, and that was that. In fact, actually, the show was almost lost. Like the the it was shot on VHS mm. or tape or Betamax. It was shot on on video, and. No one cared, yeah. <laughs> and there was a there was a time when the show was thought to be lost. They just they rediscovered it, they remastered it, they put it on DVD. I think it's out of print now, but you can still find it pretty easily. Mm. And um, and now it exists, and I'm glad it exists. I'm glad that this has been uh, cataloged. I'm glad that we watched this for you, mm. so that you don't need to see this because you don't. Mm. It's you can watch any one episode. Any one episode, and you got the whole gist of it. I recommend the Jim Backus episode because Jim Backus is at least kind of having fun. But that's probably it. Just watch one episode, and you've seen the entire series. I, I and remember, it was not uh, canceled too soon. No, oh goodness, no. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I remember the, the further away we get from like the start of TV history, the more it all starts to blend together. And I noticed this happened with radio as well. Yeah. Um, you can go, you can like order online or like download big mp3 files of random episodes of whatever was like whatever radio show was big in 1943 Mm. it's not like maybe you'll get a comedy block Mm -hmm. but it's not like people are fans of a single show and they try to get that single show that's less common 
Yeah, like and some and, uh, of the, some of the bigger shows like The Shadow, you can get like a whole set. Exactly, but um, mostly it's only things are available only piecemeal. Yeah, yeah. it's like I I don't want to necessarily you know buy all all the episodes of X minus one, but I can get like five episodes of any random five sci fi shows that were big in the forties. Right, and that's the same with some TV, especially kids TV. You can go on Amazon right now, and they have just a mix of animated shows from like the sixties. Like, really obscure stuff that they were able to get because they're probably in the public domain. Or uh, they put out a really good box set, a DVD box set called Hey Kids, which was just random episodes of kids programming from the 1950s. They had, like, Kukul, Fran, and Ollie, but a lot of of other stuff as well. And it was not... It it didn't seem to be very carefully curated in any kind of way. It was just sort of this random mishmash of our collective unconscious. The Ghostbusters is going to land there. (laughs) <laughs> like get, give it another another couple of decades and we're gonna have a single episode of the ghostbusters yeah. on a compilation online somewhere yeah. of here's a lot of kids programs from the mid 70s that are yeah. really odd yeah and it's not it gets not bond binded together by the, its connection to formation or mm. the star or anything else other than its era and its obscurity i i think the fact that this show persists at all mm. in anyone's consciousness is exclusively because they made the Ivan Reitman movie. Mm. And again, when they were making that movie, they didn't know if they could call it Ghostbusters yet. And there are actually like alternate takes of things where they were calling it Ghost Breakers. Uh, no and kidding. I, and I don't know if they actually have the rights to that one either. <laughs> I'd be very curious. Well, what studio put out the Ghost Breakers? If it was also, it was, it was also Columbia. Columbia I'll well, look it up. Done, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so they, that was their alternate version mm. in case they didn't work out. But um, basically the fact that Ghostbusters was so successful meant that other things that happen to be called Ghostbusters are at the very least a historical anecdote. Mm. And again, I'll go to bat for the 1986 cartoon series. Is it amazing? No. Is it as good or better than a lot of the other stuff on at the time? Mm. Yes. It's entertainingly filmed. It's got really cool Mm. designs. It's neat. Mm. The Ghostbreakers was a Paramount film. Alas. And it was based on a 1909 play. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, so maybe they didn't have the rights to that one either. Maybe it would have been even worse. Uh, God, wouldn't that have been hilarious if there was like a movie they, the Ghostbusters could never have been released because oh. they shot it all with the wrong titles? And in fact, the playwright wrote the original 1914 film version of the Ghostbreakers. Ah. So this has a nice long tradition. Neat. Um, anyway, the cartoon's pretty good, and if you want to check that out, that's actually, like, kind of entertaining. And, like, the mm-hmm. first, like, six episodes or so are, like, one long story arc. Um, so you can actually, like, enjoy, like, a story. Because um, Forrest Tucker and Larry Storch, who I don't know if they played themselves in it. I think Forrest Tucker might have already passed away, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but their characters go missing. They've been, like, kidnapped by this evil ghost who lives in another dimension. And he's trying to, like, send a ghost into our dimension to take over the world for ghost kind. Mm-hmm. Fine. Um, the- the dumb premise, but it's way more solid than what we got in the seventies. Hell of a lot uh, better than this. And um, yeah, so that's a, that's that's a thing you can totally check that out, and that's fun. This series you can find it online pretty easily. Uh, it's not good. Uh, next week on canceled too soon. Canceled too soon. One hundred ninety nine and four fifths. Again, that was Whitney's idea. <laughs> we're gonna be talking about a show I've been wanting to do since we started the series, and I'm tired of putting it off, so we're just doing it. Mm. Uh, we are doing Harper's Island. We've, we've toyed with Harper's Island a lot. Yeah, Harper's Island was a 2009 television series that was a slasher movie in 13 episodes. And that was the idea. The idea was it was a miniseries, but if it was successful, they had ideas for every season 
they would do a different kind of horror movie and it would bring back certain members of the same cast, maybe in different roles. If that sounds familiar to you, American Horror Story came out a couple of years later and was a huge hit. So Mm. maybe they should have stuck with Harper's Island. I'm just throwing it out there. It wasn't that crazy an idea. Uh, But I have a lot of, I have a lot of fond memories of this show. I haven't watched it since I binged it for the first time, like in the year 2010 or 2011. Mm. So I'm curious if it holds up as well as I remember. And Whitney has mm. never seen it. Yep. Not, I've, I've heard a lot about it. I kind of wanted to see it because yeah. it sounded like an interesting idea. Um, just this rather elaborate slasher movie. But yeah. but yeah, that's 13 hours long. Never got around to it. This is my chance. Okay. So anyway, um, I hope that holds up, but we'll mm. find out next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can, of course, uh, if you want to talk about this episode or anything else that we've discussed on any of our podcasts... You can email us. Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email address. We might read your letter in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. You can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash network, where we have a ton of exclusive content. We have exclusive podcasts about the 1960s Batman. We have exclusive podcasts about every single episode of Star Trek. We have podcasts about every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, podcasts about films that are not on Disney Plus, but should be coming up next month's World's Greatest Athlete. Bizarre tie-in. We didn't plan that. <laughs> uh, we have commentary tracks. This month, we're going to do one for Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. That's right, we are. Should, should be fun. Uh, and uh, and more stuff besides. So, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you have a safe and scary Halloween. Scary in the good way, not in the look-at-the-news kind of way. <laughs> oh. yeah. There's pl- plenty of scary things in the world right now. Yeah, let's, but wait, let's focus on the fun, scary let's stuff. Let's focus on the fun, scary stuff, mm-hmm. and we're going to do it right here at Scarytober on the Critically Acclaimed Network. So thank you once again, everybody, for listening. Special thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers, without whom we could not be doing this. And that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. <laughs>